What up, what up? Welcome back to Millionaire Voices, episode number 19. Today, I have the honor of interviewing my friend, the CEO of the United Recovery Project, Brian Alzate. He happens to be an old neighbor of mine when I grew up, and he's became a huge, successful entrepreneur and businessman and has such an inspiring story. So I'm so blessed to have you on the show. So without further ado, welcome, Brian. What up, bro? What's going on? A lot, a lot of great things because I have the opportunity to speak to people like you mm-hmm. who are an inspiration to myself and, and the world. And then I get to hear from you so that we can learn. So usually how we start this show is I like to know where Brian Alzate is from. Ironically, we grew up in the same neighborhood, uh, but I'd love to hear from your perspective of uh, where do you come from? Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, by the way. Um, I'm born and raised here. You know, like anytime I speak, I just, you know, I kind of just like to clear my thoughts and I'll do like a little moment of silence, you know, and um you know, I just want to say, like, it's an honor being here. You know what I mean? Um, I'm born and raised in South Florida. Like, my purpose of the show is to just kind of share my message, you know, that anyone can get clean. You know, no matter what I do, like, I always try to explain to people, like, everything I have in my life is from staying clean, complete abstinence, the 12 steps, my higher power, and the 12 traditions, you know. God bless, man, because I like how you said that right off the bat, right? You know, because in life all we have is time mm-hmm. and and that could be taken whenever and i know about your story a little bit but i'm curious to see how much you want to share with the audience today and you know most of everybody we have all different types of people all mm-hmm. different types of walks of life but it's not about that it's more about like you said just sharing from your heart and so for you, I know you're from Cooper City, Florida. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're Broward boys. I was talking to my friend over the weekend, and he he thought I was like, because I normally you know tell people I'm from Davie, but I actually grew up in Cooper City too. I think I left Cooper City like in third or fourth grade, but um, yeah, you know that's how we know each other from Embassy Lakes. Exactly, man, and uh, it's it's cool because you, I remember you growing up. We were just like. The skater dudes, mm-hmm. we were putting that cool ramp on the drain yeah, yeah, yeah. and just grinding. <laughs> and then we were grinding yeah, in business. Yeah. But I know that life for you took a mm-hmm. turn quickly. Yeah. Where like you were that dude I remember when we were young and you kinda like were a man before you were a boy type type <laughs> type dude. Like you just skipped the step. That's kinda high vision. I'm like, when I That's saw you funny. from afar, I'm like, Brian Alzate, damn, what's that dude jacked and like <laughs> and like getting with all these girls and like, what's going on? This guy blew up quick. Wow, but funny. I know you went through hell. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't even realize that. So I respect you I and so many that. others who have come from that and rose to be such a successful uh entrepreneur and person in life. Mm-hmm. And and I you know actually a business partner of mine, he really showed me that strength. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's what I want people to understand. So maybe if you want to talk a little bit about that journey. Just, you know, like I share my, I've been sharing my story for, you know, 12 years. I've spoken in prisons, whatever. So me sharing my story doesn't uh, phase me. It's kind of like part of what I do. But uh, yeah, so growing up, I really... To put it in in uh, a real per- honest perspective is I abandoned my inner child at a young age. Mm-hmm. So at a young age, I was really embarrassed of childish things and, and, and things that kids my age were doing. I was constantly trying to be someone I wasn't, mm-hmm. trying to fit in with the older crowd, hanging out with the older kids. And even, even like in Cooper City, I wasn't really doing 
drugs, but I was hanging out with the older kids and, you know, and even in skating, I was, you know, really good at skating compared to kids my age. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of that is, uh, you know, extreme insecurity, low self-esteem, using humor to cover up who I really am, not feeling comfortable in my own skin. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, you know, when people, you know, say things like that, like, oh, you were so cool, da-da-da-da. In reality, like, I was, uh, I was embarrassed to not be cool. And I wasn't able, I was trying so hard to be cool as a young age, you know? And um, I think as a kid, um, I, I missed out on a lot of things that kids do. And I think, like, as an adult, that's why I kind of am so, like, stupid and goofy now, you know? Like, it's kind of hard because at work, I'm like, we deal with serious stuff, you know? But outside of work and uh, before I opened, you know, the treatment center, I was just getting in touch with what it was like to just be Brian, mm. you know? But That says a lot because in life, it's like, you know, you try to be someone you're not, it's going to come and hit you one day. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll be real and vulnerable and say I, I felt those effects before. Mm -hmm. And then you start to question, you know, like, you know, let's unpeel the layers, like mm -hmm. look yourself in the mirror. And I think that's part of growth. Mm -hmm. But I know that, you know, substance abuse is a crazy challenge in mm -hmm. in the world. Yeah. And, and you faced it at an early age. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of people say that past tense. And, and uh, you know, my goal is to, like, educate people that, like, recovery is a long-term thing. You know what I mean? Because, like, even though I've been clean double digits I still live with the disease of addiction I still do things to stay clean um I still uh call myself an addict you know and for some people like I remember my parents being like you know you're clean now stop calling yourself an addict and it's um it's like when someone goes to war they're still veterans you know what I mean mm. and not to compare you know drug addicts to veterans you know I'm not here to to debate that but once you've gone down a rabbit hole of, of addiction and uh, you found yourself, you know, contemplating suicide and you've struggled with certain substances that have really taken away your ability to have choice, that changes you as a person. And like in recovery, say like, you know, if, you know, once, a, uh, you know, an addict, always an addict, you know. And for me, growing up, I just never thought that would happen to me. You know, I grew up with a lot of arrogance. I tried drugs thinking I would never get addicted to them. And really, that comes from, like, my inability to accept myself because the first time I used wasn't to get high. The first time I used was to gain acceptance from other people, mm -hmm. you know. And, and then when you, I guess, out of just understanding how you grew and mm -hmm. passed that, when you had to face that, it was like you went down a road that you just had to feel a certain type like like how long did it take you mm -hmm. to to get to that to get to that like the point of getting clean that is just like, like where it, it, the real person starting to come alive again yeah. not that person I mean, that, you remember that time? <laughs> so like you know one you know you got to talk about like how like that person got torn down so like you know when i was a young kid you know i didn't need permission to smile i didn't care what people thought about me I was like, you know, just a young, normal kid like we all are. Mm -hmm. And um, as the years went on, you know, getting bullied or like having people pick on you, people telling you things, you know, and um, I started to close and I started to, you know, close my heart and to feel like, 
oh, I, I can't act this way because someone might say something to me. You know, somebody will clown on my shoes, and then the next day I'd be clowning on someone else's shoes, you know? And then, um, you know, growing up, uh, I think I was smoking cigarettes in, like, fourth grade. So in fourth grade, I was smoking cigarettes, and then fifth grade, I was smoking weed. Sixth grade, I was selling weed. And then I think, like, end of sixth grade, I was doing coke. So, you know, now that I'm an adult, when I tell my story, it actually kind of makes me sad because I think about, like, you know, the kid doing that as a child still, you know. At 11, 12 years old, I thought I was cool doing coke. Yeah. Now that I'm an adult, like, there's nothing cool about that. Like, this kid has serious, serious issues, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, at 13, arrested for the first time. Um, and when I got arrested, I started getting drug tested. So I had needed to do drugs that came out of my system faster. So I pr- uh, predominantly only did coke at that point. And then I became a total cokehead. I got kicked out of school, sent to military school. And then I tried crack for the first time when I was 14. And then I also tried Oxycontin. And then at, in freshman year, my drug of choice was crack and Oxycontin. Wow. And, um, you know, as much as uh, illegal drugs, like, ruined my life, like, prescription drugs were, like, you know, a whole another battle. Mm. You know, if, uh, you know, if, if smoking crack was, like, a full-time job, like, doing pills was, like, a, a way of life. Like, you, I couldn't get out of bed without pills. I couldn't go anywhere without pills. Mm. And like that opiate, it, it gripped that, you like yeah, that. Yeah, that mm-hmm. opiate addiction was like insane. And um, so you know, you fast forward three, four years of that, and um, everyone had kind of given up on me. Like you know, so at that time, like no one really thought I would stay clean. You know, I was in and out of jail, uh, arrested multiple times, kicked out of school like four different times, and suicide was a constant state you know constantly thinking about suicide blowing my brains out walking in front of a car and um even my own family was just like confused because i don't come from a messed up family i don't come from a family of drug addicts you know when i would go to court my uh, my judge would be like you know you're the only kid in here with both parents she's like i can't remember the last time i seen someone in here with both parents and my dad would look at me and he'd be like like do you see that you don't fit in here, you know? Mm. And at the time, I just, I didn't see there was a way out. Like, I've tried getting clean before on my own, and I just couldn't do it. And I thought opiate addiction was going to be, like, my life. And um, I got clean at 17 years old. I went to God my, bless you. yeah, I went to my first, uh, first and only detox. I went to a county-run, state-funded, you know, not really a nice place. And um, that's when I first, you know, started to hear the message of, uh, of a 12-step program. Wow. Wow. You know, that shook me, man, because it's just I I got to hear it direct from you and also know that, you know, it shows hope. It shows faith. Mm -hmm. It shows that there's people like you that that it's possible. So I I love that you're an inspiration. That's why I said in the beginning. And also the reason I asked, because it's usually the start of the show Mm -hmm. is telling you is like, I just kind of want to know where you come from. Everyone has a different beginning and yours is unique in itself. And, like, as messed up as my story is, like, from going to meetings, I've heard so many crazier stories. Like, like when I got clean, I thought I had the craziest story ever and that, like, I could never get clean. I've seen people use heroin for 30 years and become uh, a lawyer. You know, I've seen women that walk the streets of Hollywood uh, go back to school and become nurses. So, like, I had seen so many examples of people that were doing mm-hmm. it that had, that had it worse off than me. And now, like, in business or in life today, like somebody would be like oh you know so and so said this about you and i'm just like 
bro, like, do you know how much, like, worse rumors I've heard about myself? You know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's like, it's really hard to dampen my day. Like, some, like, you know, this one time I backed up my car into my other car. And, um, <laughs> and I, because I had two cars at the time. And I remember I was like, damn, that's so cool. And my friend was like, what, like, what's cool about that? And I was like, bro, I got two cars. Like, I backed up one car into my other car, you know what I mean? And I was just like, I couldn't believe that that was my life, bro. I used to, like, break into cars, like I was telling you, and, and, and get the coins out of the car and walk to Coinstar to get, like, $14 to, like, go buy crack, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, today, wow, it takes a lot to really piss me off. I have friends that are like, yeah, man, we just keep trying to, like, piss Brian off. Nothing really pisses <laughs> him off, you know? I love that, man. It's like yeah. you found a peace in your life where you could just be smiling mm-hmm. and, and look at really all the positives. You know, that's why I think it's, you know, and there's different principles of surrounding yourself with those type of people um, because, you know, there's such things as toxic mm-hmm. environments. And like you said, people oh, say something to you and you start to believe it about yourself. Mm-hmm. When they call you, you know, they say you're a bitch and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, a couple, couple months later, you're like, yeah, I am, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and like, you know, what I've learned in recovery are simple things that we learn in kindergarten. Self-talk, like how important it is, the conversation I have with myself. Mm-hmm. So like whatever someone can say to me, I've said 10,000 worse things. Like I'm my worst like hater, mm-hmm. I'm my worst enemy. So as long as I have good self-talk about myself, like I'm not really concerned about what someone else says, mm-hmm. but I'm also humble enough to say, hey look, if five people are saying the same thing, maybe there's some validity to this mm-hmm. you know so i'm I like not that. that arrogant where i think that like i don't care what nobody thinks because that's how i that that's how i was when i first got clean i don't care what nobody thinks and that was bullshit like i do care about people think about me i care about what my mom thinks about me i care about what my close friends think about me and i care about how i think about me mm-hmm. but if you're not like that close to me i really don't care because like you're just walking into the movie now like you weren't there to see the whole thing so you don't Oof. have an accurate you don't have an accurate description, you know? Wow. Yeah, and that actually, you know, when I asked you about the foundation, it, it shows how like, wise mm-hmm. you are. Now you have all these understandings of life. Is like the business of you, where did it tick for you where you wanted to just start making money? Mm-hmm. Or like you said, you used to go into cars to get money to go yeah. and get drugs. What, where was the foundation turning where you were like, I could build business. I'm good yeah. at this. So, so money is an unhealthy thing naturally for me. Okay. So when I first got clean, I actually ran away from situations that seemed like quick money. Mm-hmm. Because literally when I got clean, if I got $10, I would see a Roxy. I wouldn't even see money. Mm-hmm. I would see someone, I would see like my dad buy something for like $120 and I'd be like, damn, that was 12 pills. You know, like I think in drugs, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I really stayed away from money for like my first year. And there was a when I had a year clean, my my uh, mom tried to give me a hundred dollars, and she's like, "Should I give it?" Like my mom was scared to give me a hundred dollars when I had a year clean because when I came out of detox the first time, I was like, "Don't give me money." And I remember getting my first paycheck in recovery. I called my sponsor right away, and I was like, "Bro, I got my first paycheck." He's like, "Okay," and I'm like, "Just letting you know," yeah. and uh, like that's how scared I was of like having money on me. Because I could be feeling great. I'm never going to do drugs again. And I got $100 in my pocket. And I drive by um, Church's Chicken. I drive by, you know, a a shady gas station. And Mm -hmm. I'm instantly thinking about, like, maybe I should just see what's up over there, you know? Would that be considered, like, traumas? 
Yeah, one thousand percent. So people call them like triggers or whatever, but the reality is, is that like in recovery, like we don't use like the term trigger. That's that's like a treatment term. It's really just like something addicts have to go through. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. like you, you ain't never gonna play basketball for twenty years and then not think about basketball. You know, like you're gonna dream about it. You're gonna think about it when you see a basketball court. You're gonna, you know, whatever. When you throw away trash, you might have a flashback of, of playing basketball. <laughs> you know, so it's like. When you do something day in and day out and dedicate your life to it, be it drugs or whatever, of course, it's gonna pull you in or whatever, whether it's an old relationship or or anything. So when people ask me about like money, I tell people in recovery like stay away from money for at least like a couple of years. That's just and that's me. Like I personally believe that I needed to stay away and focus on the inside broken boy before I started to put the money uh, somewhere. You know because like for me the money would have just been another facade and Mm -hmm. another thing to fill the void. And, um, like, you know, like my message in life is that people looking for financial security, I pray that you find spiritual security first. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have that spiritual security first, bro, when you get the C class, you're going to want the S class. And when you get the S class, you're going to want the AMG. And when you get the AMG, you're going to want the Huracan. And when you get the Huracan, you're going to want the Aventador. And when you get the Aventador, you're going to want the plane. So it's like, there is no end to money. It's a it's a number. Mm-hmm. But through spirituality, you can still chase something and still be content with what you have today. Mm. And that's the most difficult part about an entrepreneur because when Michael Jordan gets his fourth ring, he's thinking about the fifth one. And when he gets the fifth one, he's thinking about the sixth yeah, one. That's right a, about that. th- and that's like a miserable way to live, constantly chasing something. But if you're spiritually connected, there's a way to do it and still feel content. Because if you can't be content with what you have, you'll never be content with what you get. You know, and I've had mentors, and that's that's mentorship right there. Mm-hmm. And I've had people tell me that. And it's like, sometimes you just don't grasp that <laughs> until you no. see it or something yeah. because it's like, it's so true. So so I have a friend who, who mentors me who is like... Like, this guy really believed in me when I was, like, probably had, like, five, six years clean. He always believed in me. Mm-hmm. And I give him a lot of credit. And he sold his company, and he got $15 million. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what does that feel like, bro? You just got $15 million. And the first thing he said was, it's not $50 million. <laughs> he, Like, he still felt like, well, it's not 50 Like, I still need to work. I can't mm-hmm. retire off 15 And I was just like, nah, bro. Like, like, like you're out of your mind. 15 million is not like, like you don't feel anything from that. And he was just like, well, I mean, it's cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, I see that in my own, in myself. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel like spirituality and being okay with who you are with or without the money is so important because right now where we sit, there is someone who is worth $10 million and they are going to kill themselves in the next couple years. Right now, right here. You know, wow. So it's, it's like it's so true. It's so true. That's not so the chasing fo- the money is is cool because it lets you know that dreams are real and attainable. And there's another prison of like, oh well, that'll never happen. Like like that's prison, bro. You know, thinking like, oh, I can't attain my dreams. So there's like another level to yeah, you should still chase your dreams, but the money aspect of it is like. You can't get caught up on that. You know what I mean? No, it's so true. I mean, you got to love what you do and, mm-hmm. and do what you love. And, and, and it becomes not even 
money it's it's, it's like that philosophy mm-hmm. serve people everything follows mm-hmm. and obviously it's like what character do you want to be in this life that's why mm-hmm. i kind of started to say to myself is like all right if this is a dream and you know that your riches are inside at this point in your life mm-hmm. where do you want your character to go for and then it's like is it that ego saying that Mm -hmm. is it like oh i want to be remembered by this and i want to create all this it's like or is it just like hey i'm here to serve Mm -hmm. and this is a vessel and i'm you know going to use my spirituality to get me there and then there's going to be different things because everyone chooses how they want to live some Mm -hmm. people could be perfectly happy up in the mountains somewhere Mm -hmm. And not wearing a bunch of you know fan, uh, expensive jewelry or yeah. something—that's their choice. Yeah, and I, I have uh, you know I have a friend of mine who his dream was to like to dance. This is like a white boy who can't dance, and now he's like a pro salsa dancer. To him, that might be more difficult than becoming a multimillionaire. Like that's his that's his dream, you know. And I encourage people to chase their dreams. It might not always be you know to be rich and famous and have five thousand employees and take your company public. But like whatever dream you have, like I have a friend mm-hmm. who wants to be who wants to do comedy, and I'm like, bro, just sign up for an open mic, and he's like, oh. and I'm like, bro, it's not that hard. Like, people are gonna laugh at you, or they're gonna laugh at you. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like either way, people are gonna laugh, you know. And and sometimes people are just scared to do that stupid little thing. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, like, um, you know, when I had five years clean, like we were talking about skating. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when I speak at meetings, like when I was rollerblading as a kid. That's when I really felt my happiest because, like, going to Brian Piccolo as a kid and hitting the spine, this guy knows, and, like, doing whatever, you know, like, that just felt like that's when I felt like a kid. And when I moved and I stopped skating is when I started to put a mask on. And ironically, I had a, a, a episode that just launched today, Brian Donovan. Uh-huh. He's, a, he's a beast, and I have a lot of love and respect for him. He was talking about this, too. He was like, Danny, I feel my best when I'm out on my quad. Yeah. I'm just ripping it. I do a cold shower. I do my daily mm-hmm. rituals, and I'm just my inner child, just like yeah. me. I love now, like, doing all these different types of, you know, fighting movements mm-hmm. and, like, because I remember as a kid, that's how I was. And it's like, when we get to that playful state, you know, mm-hmm. I know someone's telling me, he's like, Danny, I go, uh, actually, which you'll meet later, is I'll go out of my boat and I'll just troll and chill. For, mm-hmm. and, and it's like a happy place. It's like our inner child. And it's, yeah, it's and like needed. you got to spend time with your inner child as if it was a real child. So like, mm-hmm. you don't have to be with your inner child 24-7 because that's not practical. And at some points, it's not even appropriate, mm-hmm. you know. But you need to spend time doing things that you love or else you're going to get caught up in the... Uh, in a house that you don't really spend time in, in a car that you're just waiting for the next car to come out, at the job just waiting for the the clock to tick, at the you know g- getting the the paycheck that's just you know not enough, mm-hmm. and you just get caught up in this riff raff rat race of life, and you could be making a million dollars and still feel that way. There are people that that's make so a m- million dollars that live above their means, paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, you know it doesn't matter. Like I have a friend who does accounting, and he's like. You know, he does accounting for hundreds of thousands of people, probably. And he was like, bro, I don't care if people make a hundred grand a year or a million grand a year. Most people spend all the money they make. Most people don't have much savings. And you think that if you made this much money, your life would change. But if if your behavior doesn't change, it's really the same thing. Oh, wow. That's great talk, man. Mm -hmm. Actually, it leads me to uh, people love to know how, like, the reality of you building a business. Mm-hmm. I know you ha- you're you're a businessman. You have many different businesses. I announced that you're the CEO on the show of um, United of the, Recovery of the United Project. Recovery Co- Project. Mm-hmm. 
talk a little bit about that. Like, what's it like owning a, a, a rehab uh-huh. treatment center? I mean, bro, it's crazy. You know, it's uh, a lot of people look at me and like, oh, like you do what you love. But the reality is, is that I spend most of my time doing things I hate, you know. So even though I love helping people, owning a treatment center isn't like helping people like there's like, yeah, it is. But there's so many parts of the business that I hate doing. Mm-hmm. I hate doing payroll. I hate having, you know, quarterly meetings with HR. I hate, you know, doing compliance. I hate the billing aspect. I hate arguing with insurance companies. You know, you have like, you know, the census, you have, you know, disgruntled clients, the police come in, Baker acts. Like there's a lot of parts of the business that aren't fun. And a lot of people think like, oh, well, you own a business where you love to do what you, you do because I'm in recovery and I love to help people. Yeah, bro, but any business, to make it successful, you have to do the things you hate. You know, I think a lot of people don't understand that, but owning a treatment center is by far, like, the coolest thing, like, I do hands down. Like, I love going to work, but I loved going to work before I owned a treatment center. So a lot of times people think that, you know, I love what I do because it's treatment, but I got to a point in my life where I folded clothes at the mall, and I loved going to work because I was just grateful to have a job, you know? And I've, I've been in situations in my life where I didn't like my job. And, um, I, you know, I remember driving to work telling myself I love my job, I love my job. And I hated it, you know, just trying to be positive. And um, today, it could still be like that some days. There's some days where I'm just getting phone calls and phone calls mm-hmm. and emails and emails. And, yeah. and uh, it could be super overwhelming. Um, it goes to show it's like just like in anything it takes a team you know it 1, takes a, a collection of great individuals you know and having a role and mm-hmm. responsibility and accountability and it all has to work at the same speed if but at, at the mm-hmm. end of the day everyone goes home but the boss the mm-hmm. owners have to know that they have to keep this business alive so they can keep payroll going mm-hmm. and they can keep helping the world and it, it's a, it's it's a lot and i i think people underestimate what it really takes to build a business you know especially when you're not that person it's Mm -hmm. okay it's just more about figuring out how to delegate Mm -hmm. how to hire the right people and how to just you know scale per se Mm -hmm. but i definitely can relate to that so like in any business when people scale uh like they lose quality and that's like my biggest fight is that i want to scale the business but i want to keep the quality and i want it to be the same and there's some companies that have done it you know really well you know when you go to starbucks they don't get a bigger starbucks they just open up another starbucks and i've been to a thousand starbucks and they're all pretty much consistently the same i'm sure nothing's like the very first starbucks i'm sure it was perfect but there's a way to do it where you're not growing too fast and at the end of the day i'm not selling coffee i'm saving people's lives like when you take someone into your treatment center you really are handling their life in your hands and families are trusting you. Mm-hmm. People are putting their kids on airplanes. They've never even toured the facility. They're just looking on Google and seeing like your reviews and, and, and what your website looks online. And they're trusting someone over the phone to explain to them what it's like. And oftentimes when you, when you get explained something over the phone while you're intoxicated or fighting with drugs, it's not what you thought it was when you get there, um, just naturally. And there are times where you know some people go through treatment and they're just totally satisfied. And there's times where some people go through treatment and they just have never been to treatment before and they didn't expect it to be this way. But what I can guarantee when people come to my treatment center is that we're going to care. And I tell people all the time is that 
The difference between going to a good treatment center and a bad treatment center isn't the Tempur-Pedic mattress. It's not the food. It's going to be whether or not the people take the extra time to make sure that each individual is in a safe environment, that they feel that people actually care about them, that they're not treated like a number. And that is what makes, you know, our place, you know, different than a lot of other places. And I, I feel like from what I've seen in building business thus far is like any industry can have mm-hmm. either or. You know, it's like the, we used to call them the bad actors or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it's like if your heart's in it, if you could build that mm-hmm. in your core values of your company, the DNA, mm-hmm. and you could breathe that into your customers and into your clients or mm-hmm. your or your patients in your case, it's um, it could be replicated in any industry, I mm-hmm. believe. It just needs to be uh, really held strong like you do, like you hold it in your company. One thousand percent. And there's a lot of times where, you know, uh, it starts to affect the bottom line and we don't have enough clients and, and, and people want to cut corners or do things they don't normally do to, to, to make rent or whatever. Or they're having a slow period. And I can honestly say that, you know, in the five years we've been open, like URP is the same way it was five years ago as it is today. If you come on a Saturday, if you come on Christmas, if you come when we're empty, if you come when we're full, like it is the same thing 24 seven. And, um, any solid company does that, you know? Any solid company is consistent over time. And yeah, like you were talking, like 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 look at Chick-fil-A. You know, they got phenomenal I'm like, where do they find these people? You know what I mean? Like where do they find these people to work minimum wage that are smiling at their job to serve food? And the reality is is that, you know, Navy SEALs aren't aren't born, they're they're made. So there's something about their culture where they're training people the right way and they're taking these these employees and mm-hmm. turning them into these chick-fil-a people you know uh, it's so interesting so right now you have one center oh uh, technically we have two so we have nice. one in west palm and we have one in hollywood and then and that you house people into yeah. in your facilities yeah so they're in uh so we have all levels of care so we have detox and res in um west palm that's 20 beds and then we have 54 beds of php with community housing where they live there as well and then we have probably a census of like 30 or 40 in intensive outpatient. Mm. And based off you being in the industry now, a couple of years, I mean, what's your take on it right now in Florida? How are you seeing, mm-hmm. w- w- like for us, you know, being in the, the hemp business, we were seeing, you know, a lot of people using our products in the, in the case to get off uh, opiates and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But what are you seeing? That ch- and we were trying to see some numbers mm-hmm. back then, but like what's going on right now in Florida? I mean... Honestly, I stick to myself. So, like, I pride myself on being a hardcore, 12-step, abstinent-based luxury facility, Mm. right? So, we are one of the few treatment centers that have not become uh, MAT, which means that we don't use uh, Suboxone. Um, We're not trying to get people on more drugs, you know what I mean? We're a complete abstinent-based place. We do give people that are dual diagnosis any type of meds that they might need as long as they're non-narcotics. We don't do any type of marijuana treatment or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And, like, there are trends now, Mm -hmm. like marijuana treatment centers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And for me, I just feel that if you're going to treatment, you've probably already tried just smoking weed 10 years ago. So I really believe that, you know, treatment or, or my treatment center at least is for people who have tried every other way to stay clean and really want to, you know, kill a fly with a hammer, right. you know? 
No, it's good stuff, Brian, man. And it, it's I, I commend you for what you do because it's it takes the heart and like you said, how you hold the principles of your organization and, and why you're so successful with it and, and can continue helping people. So in like the entrepreneur of Brian, I mean like the the inner child and also the the, the person who knows that if he believes in a dream he's gonna attain and mm -hmm. I see you all this cool toys now, mm -hmm. like talk a little bit about I'm interested and I know people mm -hmm. are like how do you view business now like so you know one like I told you in the beginning I was like very scared of like making money or like quick money it for me it was a trigger it was like something that that I just stayed away from mm -hmm. you know and I've seen my friends start making money or whatever and I just wanted to go to school because growing up my dad just told me like go to school you're gonna be a loser you know and um uh, I started with motorcycles. So I, I was working at a treatment center, mm -hmm. making, you know, 12 bucks an hour, sweeping up cigarette butts, driving kids to the bowling alley. And I met this kid on a cruise who had a motorcycle business, and he lived in Tampa, and I lived in South Florida. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew he was making money. He was probably 21 at the time. And I remember he had, like, a Range Rover, and he had a Z06 Corvette. And at the time, like, a Z06 Corvette, like, was, like, you know, and a Range Rover. It was, like, pretty insane to have at 21 years old. And, um... We became friends, and he would always ask me to visit him. I was like, can I work? And he's like, what do you do for work? I'm like, I work at a treatment center. And he was like, I'm sure you could, like, miss one day. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, it's pretty important, you know? And one day he called me, and he's like, yo, I have a 2001 Gixxer 1000 with a blown motor, and this guy wants to sell it. Can you pick it up? And I was like, it sounded like Chinese to me. And I was like, oh, I don't have a truck. He's like, the guy owns a tow yard. He has the title. He's going to drop it off to your house. And I was just like, I mean, I guess. And he was like, do you have 1300 bucks?" And I just started laughing. I was like, nah, bro. Like, the only time there's a comma in my bank account is when I get my FAFSA. And I remember he's like, do you know anyone that will give you 1300 bucks?" And I was clean probably four, maybe four years at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, bro, if I ask people for 1300 bucks, they probably think I'm back on drugs or something, you know? And he, I was like, you can Western Union it to me. And he was like, what's Western Union? So I, like, explained it to him, and he sent me the money. And he sent me $200 extra, and when I, when I got the bike, I took a picture of the VIN, I took a picture of the title, and he was like, all right, pay the guy. And then he was like, keep the 200 bucks. And I was like, I don't want the 200 bucks. And he's like, just keep it. I'm like, I don't want it. He's like, just keep it. I was like, I don't want it. So he called me the next day, and there was another bike. And then after another week, he was like, how much do you make at work? Uh, at the time, I was working part-time going to school. I was like, I think I make like 300 bucks a week. And he was like, I'll give you 100 bucks a bike, and you buy bikes for me. And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, you'll probably be able to buy 10 bikes a week. And I was like, $1,000 a week? And I instantly, like, was, like, sold. And I remember I, like, I gave my car to my brother because he had crashed my car. And my dad had, like, this old F-150. And I was still working at the treatment center buying, bar buying bikes part-time. And then I just started buying bikes 24-7. And oh, um, Wow. How it, many were you buying at one time? So in a... Uh, in three years, I, we did that every single day for three years. Like, I lived, eat, breathe, and sleep motorcycles. I was on Craigslist 24-7. I was driving 100,000 miles a year. I would go to the Power Sports Auction in Georgia. I'd go to Key West to buy a bike. I was buying bikes in Jacksonville, Daytona, Tampa. I hit up Florida nonstop on, on Craigslist, all on Craigslist. And I think I was buying about, like, 330 bikes my first year, which is like a bike a, a day almost to second year I was buying about 550 bikes which was almost like two bikes a day oh wow so you know I had a trailer and um, 
that's really where I learned that I still have this crazy addiction in me because mm. like that's when like I realized that even though I'm clean, I still have this insane ability to not go home. So what that means is like when I would do coke with my friends, they would go home. <laughs> I never I never went home. Like they'd all be like I'm going home. I'm like no, I'm getting more. So like I applied that that uh, same mentality to to buying bikes where if I was in Tampa, I would have two bikes and be like I don't want to go home yet because there might be another bike here. And then I would think like, well, I don't have space on the truck for another bike, so I would have to find a little trailer to if I found another bike and like you know, put some little rinky dink trailer on my thing in case I found another bike. And more times than not, I would find another bike. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like that kid that I worked for, his name's Damon. And, um, he really taught me like no sleep mentality. Like this kid is just a workhorse. He wants to work and he wants things to be perfect. And he doesn't care if it's Saturday. He doesn't care if it's Christmas. He doesn't care if it's Thanksgiving. Like if there's a good deal out there, like he wants it right now. Wow, you know, so, so many core, like principles that you're saying, man. Like, and I remember when some of my times going through like the state of Florida, just driving city to city, just mm -hmm. to make a couple bucks. But like, and then even building the company of like little things you do. But like those details, man, mm -hmm. that you became like I want. I don't want to use the word obsessed, but that no one's gonna outwork you. You're mm -hmm. gonna. You're gonna. And, and if they are. It's going to be a big challenge because just not because you're against or competitive. It's more that you just have this much belief in yourself almost to get it. Yeah, I mean, there was and it wasn't like because at the time it was like um, he was like, look, I'll give you 100 bucks on every bike. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, how many bikes can I buy? And he's like, as long as it's a good deal, I'll buy it. So he basically gave me like full range to buy anything at any time. So that was the first experience I had where it was like the more hours you put in, the more money you would make. And um, through all that time, I didn't stop. I didn't stop going to meetings. I didn't stop sponsoring people. I didn't let the money cloud, you know, my recovery. So I still had a solid foundation where there was times where he would be like, bro, I need you to go to the power sports auction in Georgia. And I'd be like, bro, I can't. And he'd be like, what? And here I'm the guy who works 24 seven. And I'm like, I have to go speak Respect. at a meeting. And he would be like, speak at a meeting. He's like, bro, you're about to make 14 grand on this trip. And I was like, I'm sorry, bro, I can't do it. And he's like, tell someone else to do it. And I was like, I've already like substituted myself like one time, I can't do it again. And he would be like, who says no to that? And I was like, bro, I just can't do it. So there was times where I'd put my foot down and above anything else, I'd have my recovery still be super solid. And, uh, we're still close today, and he's uh, he really respects my recovery. Like at this point, you know. So now, you started making money. You know, those three years, yeah, and, yeah. and that was something that you were, that you were, almost you said fearful of. But now you're starting to. Well, I had a super solid foundation, but that's when I first started making six figures, and I feel like when I started to make six figures was when I first started to be like, oh shit, now I have extra money. Because, mm -hmm. like, my whole life, it was like I got paid on Friday, I was broke next Friday. You know, like, I just lived my life like that. I didn't understand that there would come a point where there would be extra money, you know? So then I was like, oh, shit, I can buy my own bikes. Mm. I can I can invest five grand into a business. I can, you know, like, once I started to have 10 or 20 grand in the bank, just sitting there not doing anything, I started to think, like, well, I can do something with this money. And that's when, like, the entrepreneur, you know, started rolling. And there was times where I would 
started buying my own bikes. I made relationships with other dealerships. Mm-hmm. And um, if Damon didn't, he would get first dibs on the bike. So one, I stayed loyal to him because there was so many times where I could have bought a bike and lied to how much I got it for. There was parts that would come in. I'd show up to someone's house and they'd have a full, you know, um, full race kit exhaust or something. So, you know, um, there was just times where I chose to do the right thing by someone who, you know, gave me a chance. Oh, that's a great line right there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, don't bite the hand that feeds you type thing. Yeah, absolutely. And have respect. For sure, sense. because there was a lot of times where, like, his employees would be like, you know, this kid used to be on crack. You know, like, they start looking me up on Facebook, and they're like, how can you trust this guy? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Damon is just like, you know, he'll tell, he tells people all the time, like, he's like, bro, when I met Brian, I just instantly trusted him. And this guy handed, like, the first time I went to go buy bikes, I met him in Tampa, and he did a like, little code on his safe, and he handed me 50 grand in cash. And I remember, like, I had... In all my drug years, I've never seen more than, like, two grand, you know? And I hear this guy was handing me $50,000, you know? And um, he never once questioned if I was stealing or anything, you know? So, like, he like he has a lot of respect in my book for taking a chance on me. I love that. Yeah. You know? So, with, like, with that, uh, what years were, were you in now? What are you talking about? What do you mean? About like when with this with the motorcycles and whatnot. That was probably when I had like four years to eight years. So, you know, after that you started you you didn't have the rehab center at that point. No, so I was just doing bikes and then um I I wanted to do a rehab center because I just kept seeing like all these crappy ones get open. So I remember like like when I got clean, if you owned a treatment center, you were probably in your mid forties. You're super respectable in the recovery community. You're probably already a multimillionaire, and you chose to open up a treatment center after having 15-plus years in sobriety or recovery or whatever. And then there became a point where, like, anybody and everybody was opening a flop treatment center that they would take couples, they would pay people to get high, there was all this fraud going on. And there was times where these people would open these treatment centers, and the people themselves weren't even in recovery. Like, they just went to treatment a couple times, saw that it was a profitable business, and then got, like, a loan from their grandma or something and started up, like, some flop IOP. And I would be watching them, like, they're not going to be around. Four years later, they're, like, expanding in five other states, and I'd just be like, Jesus. So, honestly, seeing so many people do it so messed up mm-hmm. uh, made me... Because, like, people would complain about it on Facebook and, like, make posts about it or whatever, but... I was like, man, if you really want to, if it really bothers you that bad, you should just do something about it. And um, that's really what motivated me to open up URP because I've seen people do it successfully too. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen people do it the right way and I've seen people help people and I've seen people own, you know, 10, 15 treatment centers across the country um, and still have their morals intact, you know? Yeah, it's it's possible. And mm-hmm. it's like a, a different type of capitalism, but it's it's with like leading with mm-hmm. the right men- uh, not right mentality there's no right or wrong which is leading with uh, mm-hmm. I guess good intent mm-hmm. you know I I love asking these questions because I want people to really see that like, first of all I uh, respect how humble you are because you know I know that you've created you know a lot of success for yourself and it's not even about that and, and I understand that from how you speak for me I just like teaching people like this is the mindset of somebody mm-hmm. who actually got to these levels and you know coincidentally wouldn't even say it was your story it was you this was your beginning and i one word i always say to people is like in any crazy successful story is the word resilience Mm -hmm. and that's what you had and then but also now 
you got good at what you do. You got to be an expert. I mean, mm -hmm. it's all about good energy. So I tell people all the time, Google that shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there was just so much that I didn't know. Yeah. Like, now that I look back on it, I would never in a million years give myself the the opportunity that I got to open a treatment center. Because, like, I had no idea all the things I was going to have to learn. I was just, like, winging it. And now yeah. that I look back, I was like, oh, my God. Like, because I was only 25 years old. In what respects? Talking, like, billing insurance companies and Everything, stuff? Everything, yeah. bro. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know. Because I meet people all the time that were like, well, I want to start a business. But what do you do with payroll? I, bro, I Googled how to do payroll. I Googled what is healthcare. I Googled what is insurance. I Googled how does insurance companies work? What is Blue Cross? Mm -hmm. What is Blue Shield? Well, you know. And yeah, I had like someone that was a, a mentor that would help me here and there. But when I would call him and ask him questions, I remember calling him and be like, hey, I have this policy coming in. Like, I don't know if it's good or bad. And he'd be like, well, Brian, do you know how health insurance started? I'd be like, no. And he would go into this long story about how like back in the day, doctors would put you on like a monthly plan and you'd have to pay the doctor monthly in case you got sick because when you got sick, you couldn't afford something that would happen back then and it was kind of like that's how insurance started oh my god so yeah. then he'd go into this long story for 30 minutes and i'd be like okay but you know is this insurance policy good or not and he'd be like i don't know you know <laughs> so like he really taught me like figure it out mm -hmm. you know what i mean and like today like one of my biggest pet peeves when someone asks me something that they can google it was like dude like learn to think for yourself people ask me all the time like what crypto should i buy I don't know, bro, Google it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, because that's all I did. It's not like I have any special, I didn't go to crypto college. I didn't like, I didn't, you know, finish college. You know, everything I, I learn is really from just asking questions on the internet for the most part. And and I do want to give like respect to a lot of people in the rooms that, that, that trusted me and wanted to help me. Because a lot mm -hmm. of people in recovery were willing to, to leave treatment centers that they were at long term to come work at my place because they saw that that this kid has a vision, you know? That's beautiful. Yeah, it's like the law of attraction. You create your reality through mm -hmm. you're attracting this these types of people into your life. And, you know, I, I guess my curiosity, well, a couple of things. One, real quick, I want to talk to you about, like, how do you – how do you think of investments now? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you view investing? You said you like to, you know, you have an opportunity if you have uh, extra money, mm -hmm. you could put it in places. Like, how does how do you view investing now? So, one, I just want to say I'm not an investing expert. I would probably say I'm pretty dumb with money when it comes to, like, the grant. Because, like, I compare myself to, like, you know, other people that I read about or whatever. But at the same time, like, I think that people need to get to a certain point where they can invest. You know, you have people that are barely able to pay their rent investing money into stuff they don't really know about. So yeah. I feel like you really got to master a skill set before you can really think about investing. So that's what I always tell people is Great like point. you really have to focus on one thing that makes money before you invest because you've got to get to that point where you have extra money. Mm -hmm. You can't be like, you know, I personally believe like you can't really invest your way into like uh you know a crazy lifestyle if you don't really have some type of regular income you know no 100 percent. it's like 
no, that's great advice. Don't but, don't go somewhere where you don't have it perfected one thing at a time. Yeah, you know, and it's like you know, a lot of times people think like investing is like some get rich quick scheme. Like, um, and it's really like I've honestly I've just read books over the past couple of years that have really helped me uh, educate myself on like what's a safe investment, and what's not a safe investment, uh, Roth IRA, like like health insurance or life insurance or stuff, or you know, some type of uh, portfolio that is diverse. You know. Mm-hmm. But um, what I would tell people is to invest a little bit consistently over time into something that you can't easily pull your money out of. Mm-hmm. Because what most people do is they save up eight grand, 10 grand, maybe five grand. Then they don't really know what to do with it. Then vacation time comes around, they spend it on a vacation, and then they just build up that four or five grand again. And then they just whatever. And then they like take out a loan. And then like now they owe five grand. And then like they just live in this constant state of like trying to save into wealth where like i've read because i used to wonder like how come i can't save money like how come i'm not disciplined to save money it was like really hard for me to save money like saving 20 grand when i was like in my 20s was like like the hardest thing ever and i probably if i was more disciplined i should have saved like 50 grand you know mm-hmm. and i read uh i read uh t- tony robbins book um i think it's called like money master the game and he talked, and like there's a guy in there that that he quotes that says like you can't save your way into wealth, you can only invest your way into wealth. So, with that being said, is like yeah, if you don't make six figures yet, you should be saving something. But instead of saving it, invest it consistently into something safe, which would be the S and P 500, some type of safe uh, uh, EFT or something like that. Um, even today, I would say like a safe crypto. But what wins over time is consistently investing and diversifying. So what I've learned is to put a little bit here and there. So I put things into physical stuff like guns, gold, or, or some type of physical asset. Mm-hmm. I put a percent of what I make into into some type of real estate, and then I put a percent into crypto, and then I put a majority into like uh, something in Vanguard, like a safe S&P 500, and that's really like your safest bet in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I like real estate, you know. I really do think like buying a house and paying it off and keep. I'm not like a flipper. I don't mm-hmm. want to buy a house and flip it and make money. I rather like buy a house and pay it off in eight years and then just buy another house, mm-hmm. you know. But um, I don't know. I just think like consistently investing over time. That's and great not advice. Pulling your money out. No, thanks for saying that. And another cool question, in my opinion, that I that I like to ask you is like, I've seen you with a lot of cool toys. Mm-hmm. What was like? The, one of the coolest things that like you the, where you felt like damn I'm here 1000% like, would be like my GTR so like when I first bought a GTR so like a lot of times people have like an idea like they want to make a certain amount of money uh-huh. but like you know people might not believe me but like money doesn't really interest me uh-huh. as much as like something cool you know what I mean so like I didn't wake up and say I want to make 100 grand a year because there was a time where I was making 100 grand a year and I had my truck for work and I couldn't really get a GTR because like they wouldn't give me that much credit. So I was making enough where I could buy a GTR, but it was like really hard. And like, I didn't really care about the money. I just really wanted a GTR. And like, I swear to God for years, I would go on YouTube and watch GTR videos every night before sleep. Mm. I would like look at all these reviews. I would go to the Nissan dealership and like, when you go to Nissan to look at their GTR, like they don't let you sit in it. They mm. don't unlock it for you. They don't let you test drive it. So I remember I would just go there and like pretend like I was going to buy it or whatever. And I wanted a Nissan GTR so bad. It's just so fucking cool. It's from Japan. Like I'm just like a super JDM guy. 
And um, I remember the like um, my business partner had um, a thousand horsepower, a twelve hundred horsepower GTR. And I remember I was asking for a raise. And he's like, what do you want to raise for? I was like, bro, I just need to make more money. And he was just like, we were fighting back and forth. And I was like, all I really want is that GTR. And he was like, how about this? And like, we made a deal. And he's like, when it gets out of the shop, I'll give you the GTR. And I was just like, no way. Like, no way. And it was matte white. It had like this matte white wrap on it. And it was 1,200 horsepower. And it was like, it was an 09 or like 2010. And when I went to go pick it up and I trailered it on the truck, it was like graduating Harvard ten times over. It was like the best feeling in the what world. What a feeling! It was so cool. I was like the happiest kid ever. And then like it broke, and it like was in the shop for like a year. So just for fun, but right? But just the fact mm-hmm. that I was able to 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 do it, and then like a year later, I bought like my own. But I would say hands down the GTR like one thousand percent. Till today, when I see one, they still make me smile. So you, I mean, you say you're a car guy. So are you obsessed whip, with cars? Whipping. What, what do you? What do you? What do you drive? Like, what have you <laughs> driven? Like that has been yours before. Uh, I mean, I've, I've driven almost every car that. I mean, seen in the Lambo uh, yeah. last week. We're just test driving and whatnot. But that's um, you like. What's your favorite besides the GTR? Like you're I'm trying to think. I really love, uh, I had a 570S, mm-hmm. 570S is super dope, like, I really give a lot of respect to McLaren because it's so fast, mm-hmm. so like, um, you know, uh, I was driving an F8 the other day, and um, like, Ferrari and Lambos are cool, but like, w- what McLaren can do around a track is just so insane, so like, a lot of people who have these cars, they don't really track them, so when you track, like, a McLaren, I remember the first time I was doing like a track event and this like little like Spanish dude came up to me and he's like, bro, you're going to win. And I was like, why? And he was like, your car is so fast because of the brakes. And I remember thinking like, how, how do the brakes make the car faster? And I remember he was telling me, he's like, bro, your car can brake like no one else's. He's like, trust the brakes. You can brake. And now he was showing me on the track. Like, you could brake right here. Everyone else has to brake right here. So I remember, like, that was the first experience where I was, like, tracking the car. And he was totally right. I remember thinking, like, damn, that little guy knows what he's talking about. And I, I beat everyone on the on the track event that day. And it really is because, like, the Akebono brakes that McLaren has are, like, insane. So when everyone's doing the track, even though you're faster than me in the straightaway, you have, like, a Ferrari or Lambo have to start braking, like, back here. In the McLaren, you can like slam on the brakes like twenty five yards away and still make the turn. And what is it for you that you're loving? Is it the every aspect? Is it the I'm the model, the, the speed, the, the look? It's, a, it's the whole package that if you're studying. If I could smoke them, I would. You know what I mean? Like that's how much I love cars. You know, but like to me, it's just like the engineering, like the whole thing about it. Like I even love the car game, like the market. So like there are some cars that I don't like because they depreciate in value. You know, so like I'm not a big fan of like the Bentley Bentayga. But the fact that you can get one now for like 120 and that they depreciated, but like like for 120, it's one of the best cars you could get for like 120, you know? Like like the Huracan has held its value insanely. So what people don't know, like you could buy like the new Ferrari and not and not lose money on it. So I used to think like people who bought like Ferraris and Lambos or whatever were like losing all this money. But in reality, like if you know the car market, like you can drive a brand new Ferrari and lose less money if you would have bought like a brand new S class. You can almost you can make money on a lot of these cars. Bro, there's people that bought the seven six five LT 
they bought the 765 LT4 sticker for 430. They're going for 515 right now. You know what? The reason why, beyond just how to me, like the inner child of me, like mm-hmm. it's so cool. My cousin's a car guy and he would love this podcast mm-hmm. and whatnot. I was like, I want to show people that, like, how genuine you are with all these, like, very expensive toys, let's mm-hmm. call them, is like, you just love it. And that's what I want people to realize when they're reaching their goals and dreams. And that's why I would want people listening to this to say, listen, this is a successful person. You could see how his story has created where he's at but it's like you know we all have want to just have fun you know and enjoy so like, like when i was a kid you know like when i got clean i literally couldn't think about what i like to do i remember being in treatment and my therapist being like so what kind of hobbies do you have and i was like bro, i don't have hobbies like i break into houses you know what i mean like i don't i, I couldn't remember last time i went to a concert couldn't remember last time i went to the beach couldn't tell you last time i hung out with like a group of people unless we were doing drugs like i literally had no friends I was a shell of a human being. I couldn't tell you like what my favorite song was. Like I had no hobbies. And it wasn't until probably three or four years clean that I started to look at cars and be like, oh, like, like that's, a, that's cool. And like I started to go on YouTube and watch YouTube videos. But when I was a kid, when like a Ferrari would go by, I used to freak out. I remember when I was being a little kid in the back seat and being like, Mom, go like go faster. I want to see, I want to see, I want to see. And she'd be like, no, Brian, I can't. I'm like, Mom, go, go, go. You know, so it's like I found what I like to do. Mm-hmm. And not everyone is 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 going to be obsessed with cars like I am. But, like, honestly, sometimes I feel like the only reason why I want to be successful is so I can have a car collection. Like, that's literally, like, I don't really care that much about the money. But, like, I do want to have a car collection where I could be like, Wow, like like the Gone in 60 Seconds where they open up the garage and there's just like 70 cars in there. Like To me, that's like the coolest thing. Well, it's cool because I'm excited to see, you know, calling you my friend, but watching you evolve into like how much. I mean, I'm not taking away from the fact, you know, because we're talking about your hobbies, how much you are impacting mm-hmm. this world. And right. And what you're doing is is powerful. Now, you know, I like people to know about like how you stay at a high performance like how and you found this peace mm-hmm. inside but like what daily rituals so you know i'm curious like how do you start your day do you have so, those routines yeah and stuff? so i could tell you that you know if like one i just want to like say that not everyone is the same i used to think that every successful person woke up early was five minutes early and like ate super clean and like had a strict diet bro i meet people that are like fat lazy don't go to the gym have zero idea about like affirmations or they don't even read and they're super successful you know there are some people that just go out there and do it and like they really don't even think twice about it and then there's people like me that i'm just constantly studying and trying to get better in everything i do so like and like i feel like i need to do that you know what i mean like i live like a pretty balanced life and a routine life i enjoy my routine but one thing that I've been doing for like almost five years solid is that I write my goals in first person almost every single day, mm-hmm. five years in advance, magnified by like a lot. So, you know, so I'll do that for five years at a time and then I'll start it again. So like I'll say, you know, I'm Brian, I'm 32 years old, I have 16 years clean um, and I do things that are important first. So I'll say I have long term friendships. I love my family. I love my life. I like who I look in the mirror today. I have a strong relationship with my higher power. I pray and meditate on a daily basis. I go to two to three meetings a day. I love to do service. I'm involved in multiple nonprofits. And then I'll get into, I have a net worth of XYZ. I have this much of a monthly income. Mm-hmm. Um, I have 
this business, that business, I own this car, I travel to this country, you know, blah, 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 like whatever it is. And I do that on a daily basis so I can have some type of vision and goal and purpose in my life. So even when I do like the, the podcast, like I take time to clear and have a purpose of what the podcast is really about. Like my purpose for doing anything is to share the message that anyone can get clean, to get people to, to connect on a deep level through uh, vulnerability and to just be an inspiration to, to someone else, no matter what they're going through, because that's what helped me. Mm. I heard people's stories when I was a kid getting clean as a child, you know, that blew me away. And sometimes it was just that someone stopped smoking crack. Like, they didn't, like, you don't have to be rich and famous to wow me, you know what I mean? Like, the fact that someone just stopped smoking crack was like, what? I couldn't believe that there were people walking amongst us that used to smoke crack every single day and stopped. Wow. It was like seeing a unicorn. You know, it was more, more inspirational than seeing people become millionaires. You know, when I saw people get clean in crowds and hang out every night and go out to eat together and share their stories, to me, it was like the coolest thing ever. And people always ask me, like, like how did you get clean or why did you get clean? And the reality is, is that, like, I was looking for something my whole life. I was looking for something in drugs and people and places, all the wrong places, and I found it in, in the rooms of, of the 12-step program that I go to. And for me, that was like real love, you know? And I couldn't get that through drugs, and I was trying to. So when I see homeless people out on the street or I see someone really doing drugs, I just see someone looking for love, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's, a, that's the highest frequency, you know? Mm-hmm. Obviously, kumbaya, there's war going on every day, but we all know the only way to the next level is going to be you know, that, that vibration. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen you with that type of compassion and you've, have, you do, what, what type of philanthropy or service do you do? I'd love people to know. Cause I've so, I mean, seen. so I try to remind myself that the reason why I'm trying to be successful is that the more success that I gain, the more I can give. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I do want to have a car collection. I do want to have like fun things. And I do love having like a like I love my employees. Like I don't understand employers that don't love like because I've talked to other business owners like oh I hate my employees. I think it's so weird. You know I love my employees. Mm-hmm. You know, um I really do try to 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 have a connection with each and every one of them. But um, for me I try to remind myself that the reason why I'm doing this is so that way the more that I can attain the more that I can give. And over the years I got involved with a, a nonprofit called uh, Fighting All Monsters. And um, it was so weird. Like, I, I like, naturally just like to give. And um, my friend called me. He's like, bro, you got to meet this guy. He has a foundation. I think you'll like him. So I, I saw on Instagram that he, like, was helping kids with cancer. I texted him. I was like, yo, can I come through? He's like, yeah, I'm in Miami. And I went up to his apartment. And he started telling me all about the foundation. I was in such a rush. I'm like, bro, I can't really stay that long. And I wrote him a check. And it wasn't for, like, a crazy amount of money. But I wrote him a check. And I was like, and he started telling me, like, yo, this is going to go to this funeral. And he's still, like, telling me all about it. And I was just like, bro, I hate to be, like, a douchebag, but I just got to go, you know. And I left. And I remember he hit me up, and he kept asking me questions and questions. And um, he was asking me, like, how you started a business and how you started a nonprofit. And all I did was Google how to start a nonprofit, you know what I mean? And I would send him the article. And he's like, oh, man, you're so smart. And I'm like, I'm really not that smart, but I just Googled it and sent it to you. And he would keep asking me questions. And I remember just being like, bro, it's really not that hard. Like, 
you know, you got other people starting foundations. And um, this guy's name is Milk Tyson. And he he's an ex-gang member mm-hmm. that was really close friends with, like, Justin Bieber. And um, he had an opportunity to, to have this girl with cancer walk the red carpet with Justin. And then Justin had added, already committed to someone else walking it. So he had to make up for it. And when he called to make up for it, the girl had already passed away. And he fell into this world of, like, helping kids with cancer. And um, we, we connected, and I think that was, like, four years ago. But I think our first, our first year, we did over a million dollars in donations. Wow. So, you know, and we were on the, the Ellen DeGeneres show. You know, oh, so, really? Yeah, it was cool. Got to see Ellen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I personally wasn't there, but, like, the foundation yeah, was. And um, to be honest with you, like, I really would call him and be like, bro, I don't know why you need me anymore. Like, I donate money here and there. Like, he'll call me, and he just knows I'm a sucker. So he'll call me and be like, bro, there's this girl, and she's got cancer, and there's no AC in her house, and they need AC. And I'll oh, just be he gave, like, you, gave you that. Wow. And I'll just be like, oh, my God, like, you know, all right, like, I'll see what I can do. And then he'll send me, like, a picture, and I'll just feel like, Jesus Christ. Like, how do you say no to that, you know? So I'll, like, you know, I donate money as much as I can, and I have over the years, but not more than, like, there are other people that, like, there are people that have written us $100,000 checks. And I asked them one day, like, bro, well, like, why do you still need me, or why do you still call me? And he was like, honestly, bro, you're the most positive person I've ever met. And I was like, really? And he was just like, yeah, bro, you just always, like, like, you can't even say something bad about someone else. And I was just like, well, I don't know. So, I mean, over the years, like, that's kind of what I've been focusing on. Mm-hmm. But my goal with the treatment center mm-hmm. is to one day have treatment centers that are 50% scholarships. So I, I believe that you can have a treatment center that scholarships 50% of the census and still make a profit and still be able to expand and grow. And sometimes people ask, like, what do you think about the drug laws? Or what do you think about that? Like, I'm not really concerned in into debating drug laws you know i don't really care about the drug laws i don't care about the pharmaceutical companies they're going to do what they want to do my goal is in the solution into treating addicts now and i think that's going to change generations before us or that come after us so my goal is to get treatment more readily available and to get mental health and behavioral health more uh, in school systems where people can have an education on depression anxiety and all these things that our parents thought were like a myth you know, the best thing about, you know, how I, I feel like I'm on the same page with you is I wanted to ask you this. This is my next question. See, where where's the vision Yeah. and where are you going? And and I love that you you starting to see and I love how you write those goals down and people will understand manifestation. What that means is that you're just truly believing in it. Mm-hmm. You're feeling what it feels like. And then you're taking the steps towards it. It's not like a magic pill, but it's. Yeah, because like, you know, you, you got to do all of it. So yeah. it's like you can't just do positive affirmations and then not do anything. You can't uh, do positive affirmations and go to the gym, but then not take a risk. So a lot of times people don't want to take a risk because when I opened the treatment center, I actually made less my first year, year and a half there than I did buying motorcycles. And I was willing to risk that, you know what I mean? I was willing to risk making less money in exchange for equity in a company and bust my ass and make sure that it gets done. And there was times where like, Bro, it, it, it wasn't all good. You know what I mean? Like, there was a lot of times where it's like, bro, we don't know how we're going to make payroll. There was times where it's like, bro, we don't know how we're going to keep the census up. There was times where, like, it was really, really crazy, bro. And um, I thrive in those scenarios because of what I've experienced through active addiction. 
bro, there was times where I was like super dope sick, didn't have a dollar to my name, walking around 441. And I just wasn't like what I said, like I wasn't going home. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't going home empty handed. I was going to find somebody who was going to give me $20. And more times than not, I found someone to give me $50. You know, the crazy thing about that is like I've I see myself in that character, too, is like if if it is this the last option, it's going to happen. And it's it's a good mentality used in the right the right Mm -hmm. channel, because it's it's like it's like a last episode and it's gonna you say so many great things is brian said there's a profound old story about this guy who with his ship and i want to say the right story but the 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 moral was that one person said we can't burn the ship because we have to what get if back. if we yeah. didn't get you back burn the boats. he ended up he ended up mm-hmm. uh killing that guy and then he said we're burning the boats because we're not there's no other option mm-hmm. you know and that mentality for sure, one thousand percent. And um, um, you know, in a lot of books, like like they have that story where it's like burning the boats, where there's no plan B. And a lot of people live their life well, like if this doesn't work out, this is what's gonna what we're gonna do. And a lot of times, if you want to be successful, you kind of have to go all in mm-hmm. and be willing to take the risk that if this doesn't work, <clears throat> we might die. You know what I mean? If this doesn't work, like there are gonna be crazy consequences, but we're gonna try. We're gonna die fighting. You know? And I think that. With that active addiction, there's like a really unhealthy way that I went about it because I destroyed my family, I destroyed myself. But there's a way to use those same qualities and turn them into assets. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> what what I've experienced in active addiction was resilience, trust, faith, all these principles that I use now, they were just in the wrong thing, you know? No, it's great stuff, Brian. I mean, I appreciate you telling, you know, myself and anybody who 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 has the honor of listening they're gonna learn something from you man they're gonna learn something from what you're saying right now so it's uh, it's appreciated and you know a couple last questions for you would be now how do you define the word happy like Mm -hmm. a lot of i ask entrepreneurs and ask business owners like what's your take on that word in life so i just you know, like when you talk to people, they always say like, I just want to be happy. I just think it's so crazy to me. So like I've read, um, you know, I read Eckhart Tolle, like one, like I just want to say like, uh, like the power of now changed my life. The four agreements changed my life so much that when you go to my treatment center, you get one, like every single person gets the four agreements, you know, um, Eckhart Tolle, dude, I used to be obsessed. Like, like when I say that I had a foundation before I made money, I was such like a, uh, weirdo when I had like two years clean three years clean four years clean before I made money that I used I read every single Eckhart Tolle book I used to down I used to buy his DVDs and listen to his DVDs like I really invested time into my spiritual foundation before I even thought about making extra money so in Eckhart Tolle's book you know he really talks about how happiness is like this flame that comes and goes and that like it's not really that important you know and it's unrealistic to be happy all the time so some people want to be happy but if someone called you and said your mom died you wouldn't be happy it would be weird if you were happy so a lot of times people are chasing happiness and it's unpractical and it's kind of childish to want to be happy all the time children want to be happy all the time there are times where being happy is not even an option and shouldn't be an option you know if you're really busting your ass sometimes you're not going to feel good at all so what I try to tell myself is that 
doesn't really matter how I'm feeling. What's more important is how I'm doing. Mm. So sometimes I'm doing good, but I'm not feeling good. And a lot of times I'm feeling good, but I'm not doing good. Because if I'm eating ice cream and out all night and whatever, I'm feeling good, but I'm not doing good. So what I've found is that there's something be like way beyond happiness. Like happiness to me is like old technology. This is like, you know, you and me, you know, still riding horses to work, you know, like it was something that as a kid I thought was great. But now that I'm an adult, I strive for something else, which is peace. So for me, I'm looking to be at peace whether I get a phone call that my mom died. Not that I'm happy that she's died and not that I'm sad that she's died. Is that I understand this is a fact that's going on and I'm going to have some rough emotions. But I could still be sad, grieve, and have peace and not turn it into self-sabotaging. Oof. Because I don't want to self-sabotage when things go bad because that's what I did in active addiction. In active addiction, I'd be on drugs and someone would give me some bad news and it's like, having a flat tire getting out of the car and stabbing the other three tires you know it's like you're always going to be triggered no matter what happens yeah no that's great advice for anybody listening because and the thing with peace is that you don't need anything to be like to be happy we say oh well i need this to be happy to have peace you just like that's it you got it you wake up you're grateful yeah, right <laughs> it's, it's and, there and the whole time whatever you don't happens, need happens anything yeah. like like so that's what i'm really looking for like so when i do my goals i don't say i'm happy because I think that if you have peace, happiness kind of flows through you in, you know, throughout the day naturally. Right. And I want to say one thing because a mentor told me this quote and I say to people now, and he told me, he said, Danny, happiness to him is there's no place I'd rather be than right here, right now. 1,000%. So it's just the moment. So I, I truly believe that hell is being here and wanting to be there, whatever that is for you. Whether you're in the C class and you want to be in the S class, or you're in the S class and you want to be in the Huracan, or you're in the $500,000 house and you want to be in the million dollar house, or you're, you know, an employee and you want to be an employer, or you're an employer and you want to be a freelancer, like, whatever it is, is your inability to accept the Mm. here and now. And there's a difference between striving for those things and letting it take away your peace in the moment now. Mm. So you can still want the next car but you shouldn't let it get to a point where it changes your self-worth it's true because then you're you're not in you're not in the present Mm -hmm. and you're just in the past or in the future and it's life should just be in the moment one thousand percent you know i I guess i'd like to ask you this because you do share your voice and i get to follow you on Mm -hmm. social media we'll make sure everyone follows you in two ways one and they're both great ways. One is there your Instagram platforms, mm-hmm. your vocal. What, what's your take on social media? And what? So I think social media is cool. You know, there are some people that make a living off it. You know, mm-hmm. it's changed. But my whole take is that um, it's just like a gun. It depends on who's using it. You know what I mean? It's just like anything else in life. You know, so you can use it in a real toxic way or you can use it to, like, spread a message of hope. You can use it to connect to people around the world. So sometimes people like bash social media, but it's like you can choose to follow girls with big asses or you could choose to follow Eckhart Tolle. You know what I mean? Like it's up to you how you use it. So like and there are some people that don't have social media. My biggest thing with social media is that like there's like these people on social media pretending to be people they're not like conning people into like scams or whatever. And to be honest with you, I just feel like if it's on social media, it's a scam. You know, I don't believe anybody on social media. Like, because I, 
some of the most successful people I know don't even have social media. To me, like, if you're trying to look successful on social media, you automatically are not, you know, because, like, I know really successful people, and they're trying to, to have people not know who they are. They're trying to pay people to take stuff off the Internet about them, you know. So I see a lot of successful people with 10 followers, 100 followers, 200 followers. It's just their close friends because they don't need anything to, like, they don't need likes because they already have it in real life. And when you're super successful, you already have a million people trying to be your friend anyways. But um, on social media, I think if used the right way, you can spread positivity, you can connect with people, you can, you know, even like, it's even fun. Like, I love memes, I love like funny videos or whatever. And I just think that like, um, it's really up to the user. Like, it's just like your life. Like, if you hate social media and you have a shitty time on social media and you're always like taking a social media break... Like, you probably do that in real life, you know? Like, it's kind of it's kind of crazy that people let it get to such a point. Yeah, no, it's cool. I think it's just about how, like, the brain, like, like how they how you get wrapped up in it. And it's usually, if you could find a way to use it health, healthy, mm-hmm. it could be such a positive. And I know, for me, it's been a way to connect to so many people. And, you know, which leads me to your podcast, too. Mm-hmm. You have an amazing podcast. Thank you. Um, Hell Has an Exit. And I want people to know, I actually want you to interview someone who's close to me. I feel Mm -hmm. like his voice is powerful and whatnot. Tell us a little bit about the show, people know. So Hell Has an Exit, the show that interviews anyone that has a story of victory, triumph, redemption, resilience. Um, I do a lot of recovering addicts, so I do a lot of people that I personally know. So a lot of like it's it's really hard because I'm sure you have a podcast and people hit you up all the time like yo I want to be on the show you know, so for me it's like well I don't I don't know you so I can't like verify if what you're saying is true. That's what you meant. Mm-hmm. Like you know I don't know like how you know you could come up here and say like you've been to Vietnam and all this stuff you never been there you know like I have no idea who these people are, but people on my show a lot of them I've known them since I've been clean. So a lot of these people I've met in recovery that have phenomenal stories, that have crazy, insane stories. You know, one of my favorite stories is is Rachel B. If anyone's listening, go listen to her story. She has an insane, crazy story. And she's from Florida, a lot of uh, Florida natives. But I've also been in touch with, um, so my homegirl hit me up and she's like, yo, you got to interview this guy. And I was like, who is he? And she was like, oh, he did like 32 years in prison and he was innocent. And I was like, What? And I vouch, like, she's like a close friend, so I vouch for anything she says. And then she hit me up the other day, and she was like, um, oh, you got to do this person. He'd done, like, 12 years in prison. So I was like, wow, wow, cool. So, like, how do you know all these people? And she was like, I'm a part of a podcast that does, like, wrongful convictions. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. So, like, I've had a Holocaust survivor on there. Um, I've had a lot of different people on there. So it's basically just a podcast that just shows that not just, like, Because for me, when I got clean, I would watch Intervention, and no one stayed clean. Every single Intervention starts off like this. Kelly was once a star athlete. Then she found crystal meth. And then it ends with, like, Ashley went to treatment. She AMA'd after two days and was never found ever again. Like, that's how the show is. There's no, like, hope or, like, success or, like, you don't see people really staying clean. I used to watch that show and be like, bro, some of these people aren't even that bad of drug addicts. Like, these people aren't even that bad and they, they can't even stay clean, you know? So when I went to meetings, 12-step meetings, I started to see hundreds of people with crazy stories of years of success, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 
long-term double-digit clean time. So my goal is to put more of those stories out there so it doesn't seem so crazy and uncommon. Oh, wow. You know, because growing up, I thought people that went to rehab was like Lindsay Lohan and like celebrities. I didn't know that regular day people can go to rehab and get clean and stay clean. And have you come across so, like people of like high s- uh, social status or something? Yeah, you know, like like we've had some celebrities like like go to meetings and stuff, but meetings are really like a place where like no one really cares, you know, like. If you, yeah. go to, if you go to L.A., like, half of the people there are, like, somewhat famous. Like, I went to L.A. once, and this guy was like, oh, hey, what's going on? I'm like, not much. And he was wearing, like, shorts and a T-shirt. And I was like, uh, yeah, what do you do for work? He's like, oh, I work with movies. I'm like, oh, cool. And he was like, yeah, I helped, uh, you know, he, like, he, he directed, produced The Matrix. And I was like, and I thought he was, like, lying. I'm like, oh, sure you did, bro. You know what I mean? And then he's like, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing uh, four right now. And I was like, wow. And he started, we started, like, I'm obsessed with film. Like, if there's two things I love, is cars and movies. Mm-hmm. And um, we started talking about movies for, like, an hour. And I was like, wow, how cool is that? Like, I'm at some 12-step meeting. There's a guy here who, like, produced The Matrix, you know? So I get, uh, my last two questions for you would be, what are some movie recommendations, then? If oh, you're my such a God. Movie, of, 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 of motivation or inspiring so i one so so one thing that i do that i don't know if it's like a good quality or what but like i write everything down so like if i have um a movie that that i like or i have a list of things um let me see so i would definitely say my my number one favorite movie is butch cassie and the sundance kid it's just like a classic fire like it's a western i'm not into westerns but butch cassie and the sundance kid is just like the best young frankenstein cafe de flore the intouchables is a french movie cafe de flore is also french a prophet so there's a movie called a prophet but it's not spelled f-i-t it's p-h-e-t and it's french and it's like a prison movie it is so good it's like one of my favorite prison prison movies um Incendies, Old Boy, Kids, and Nombre, V for Vendetta, Traffic, Closer, Half Nelson, Hard Candy, Magnolia. Then you got Chase and Amy, Reservoir Dogs. I got like a whole list of movies, bro. But like, I I'm a big fan into like uh, a lot of foreign films. Like, there are so many films that are in like another language that people don't even watch because it's subtitled. But like, my dream ultimately is to get out of treatment and make films. One thousand percent. Well, I can't wait to see that for you, man. It's really been an honor. So, if you could give some piece of advice mm-hmm. to somebody, and it doesn't have to be someone who's going through it, it's just somebody who is ambitious, who wants to reach their goals and dreams, and really just wants to be like someone like you after mm-hmm. the, the the things that you've uh, been through, what would you say to them? I mean, I've really got to say, like, a lot of it is work ethic and an inability to give up, like an, like a crazy inability to, like, see the problem and just focus on the solution and have a good attitude through it. Nine times out of ten, when I'm trying to hire a high-level employee that makes six figures or plus, I'm not looking for someone with a master's degree. I'm looking for someone who's extremely positive as fuck. Like, just weirdly positive. 
where like every single day they're in a good mood and they make people around them be in a good mood. That costs zero dollars and takes zero school. Like that's really what I'm looking for most of the time is I just need someone that's crazy positive all the time that can put people around him in a good mood and knows how to motivate people without being a dick and knows how to like get people to do their job without being an asshole who knows how to jump in when they need to jump in but they also know how to be firm when they're firm and I just need somebody to have a brain to think about the the situation and not get emotional and not like and and be able to sleep on a decision you know like a lot of times like 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 my one of my best qualities is that I don't get emotional and I'll take everyone's inventory and I'll say like what do you think what do you think what do you think and then I'll do a pros and cons list and then I'll say well I appreciate your feedback and then I'll sleep on it and then I'll make a decision and I'll make sure that everyone had some type of part in it. You know, on um, reading, bro, like I have so many books that I've read that have changed how I operate at work, how I operate with my friends, how I think about like my family, um, you know, t- just even like therapy. I think like everyone should go to therapy. I think it's insane that people live their whole lives and like don't have one therapy session. Yeah, I think it's so like that society thing because someone told me before they're like, yeah, why don't you go talk to someone? I'm like, that's that's too foofy for me. You know, <laughs> I don't know who who to trust to talk to. You know, it yeah. kind of gets you kind of your your defenses come up. Mm-hmm. But no, I appreciate it because you know, just listen to what Brian's saying, guys. He's someone who's you know been through a lot thus far in life. How old are you? Thirty. He's 30 years old. He's found a lot of business success, but you can see it's way bigger than that. So, Brian, I just want to say thank you, brother, 1,000%. so much. And I know we grew up right next to each yeah, other crazy, for just right? a little bit to then see how our paths, mm-hmm. and then we watch each other grow in business. And I'm just looking forward to uh, building our, our friendship more and uh, building hopefully some business together. Yeah. So thanks for coming on the Absolutely. show, brother. Thank you, bro. God bless. Appreciate it. Millionaire Voices, guys. <laughs> you heard it first. Brian Alzate, baby. Thank you.